Hey all, welcome back to the Forefront NYC podcast. I am Jonathan Williams, the teaching pastor here at Forefront. I'm really excited about today's guest. We're talking with Candace Zubernat. She is the founder of The Christian Closet. It's an online therapeutic resource for people who are trying to work out what it means to have an LGBTQIA sexual identity or gender identity within a Christian context. I think the work she does is so incredibly valuable. We had such a great conversation. Candace is a phenomenal storyteller. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Thanks, everyone. And enjoy this conversation with Candace Zubernat. Candace Zubernat, thank you so much for being with us on our Forefront podcast. We're really grateful that you could join us. Yeah, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to it for weeks. Likewise, likewise. Um, I love your story, and I, I would love it if we would just start by you telling it. Share your story with, with the world and let everybody know, um, you know, how maybe some of your personal experience, uh, you know, informs what you do now. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, that should be a really easy uh, question, right? And um, every time I get asked it, I'm like, oh, God, okay, so where do I start? Um and like anyone's story, uh, there's so many details and um, wa- I'm wanting to stay present and accurate. But uh, the beginning of my story is really not interesting. Um, it's in a covenant church in my neighborhood growing up in San Diego. Um it's Awanas and fall festivals and riding bikes in the neighborhood. Uh, my mom did backyard Bible school my whole life, which was awesome because she had all the prizes in the garage that she would give out in these big containers. So I got the hookup on that. Um, but it, I, I, my growing up years, um, were mostly really beautiful and I was loved and supported, did sports, um, and liked boys, uh, had my first love encounter in third grade. Uh, you know, it was a very dramatic thing. It uh, sounds pretty serious. Yeah. was. Yeah. I accidentally stole this guy, Nick from this other girl that I didn't even know that I did this. Uh, I felt really bad about it. But yeah, so growing up and in, in, um, I went to a Christian high school and um, of course, I, you know, I was a regular teenager, but I, I felt like this thing inside of me when it came to God. Um, I remember like leading a, a group of women on, you know, just like my peers, uh, like Bible study on a book and um, went on missions trips and all of that. So I, I go to Moody Bible Institute for college um, and thinking like, okay, this is going to be great. I'm going to meet John or Matt or Jim or whoever it is. And we're going to maybe go off to the mission field after I graduate. And um, instead I kind of just like woke up one morning totally in love with Heidi. With that right there, 
you talk about like growing up being really great and you talk about your faith leading mission trips, Bible studies, all the rest. At that point, did you feel like my faith is super solid? This is this is something that that is is unchanging and something that informs my life. Like like where were you in your I guess in your in your faith journey? Yeah, I mean, I was so serious about my faith. It, it literally it felt like I woke up and somehow in the night I had grown a third eye and I was like where did this third eye on my forehead come from? I've never met another person with a third eye. I've never heard about third eyes. Um, What happened to me? Um, You know, I was singing, uh, I was a part of like the singing crew at Moody. I, um, like my walk with God was hugely important nothing else really changed. Um, I was doing ministry on the streets in Chicago where Moody is at. Uh, it, I don't, I don't understand it really. Um, which I wish that I did because a lot of people want me to break it down. Like, okay, so no, what, what really happened? And I'm like, I really don't know, except that the, my only guess is that that was the first time that I ever really went away from home. Hmm. And so I, there just wasn't any kind of context or space for me to ever even, I don't know, consider it, have an experience with someone else. Um, and so here I was away from everything I knew for the first time. Uh, and was it, yeah. was that, was that kind of revelation or even like saying you woke up in love with this woman? Was that frightening to you? Was it, was that anger inducing? Did that make you afraid? Like, like what happened when you first felt that? Were you like, Hmm, I need to figure out how my faith works with these feelings or yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I was terrified. It was horrible and really took me on a path of, um, uh, you know, self-destruction for, for a little while. Uh, just the amount of pain that that brought, because what happens is to what this happened to me, and this is what happens to a lot of people that I work with. And that is like, we internalize this deep shame that there is something just fundamentally wrong with us. Right. I, I was the darkest, worst person I ever knew. And I didn't know why, and I couldn't get rid of it. And so, you know, I went to go see the therapist on campus and, and she's like, yeah, you know, um, if you leave the door open to homosexuality even a little bit, uh, God is going to distance himself from you and, and you won't be able to be close to God. And I remember being like, oh, okay, so maybe that's why I felt far from God. I must have opened my heart somehow to homosexuality and I just have to fight it. And so I, you know, had... Um, two really good friends and I would confess to them when I struggled and we would pray and fast. Um, I really tried everything to get rid of this bad thing. Um, right. And it's so hard. I mean, it, it's, it's compounded when you have somebody that tells you, Oh, this, this perfectly natural feeling is happening because there's a God who's far away from you. And all of a sudden it, it goes back to that idea of separation. Oh my goodness. This God is once again, separate from me, even though I asked Jesus into my heart and, or I was baptized, or whatever the case may be. I yeah. gotta fix this quickly. Yes. Um, yeah. W- w- was that so? Was there a bit of panic there at all for you? Yeah. Yeah. Panic is a nice way to say it, I guess. Um, <laughs> it felt like torture. Uh, I say that laughing now, of course, but I mean, 
this idea that we we can unknowingly choose this bad thing that makes us horrible that we're told we can control it we can choose to be close to god by not choosing this thing but i'm doing everything every mentor every discipler of me every therapist of me every friend who i'm praying and fasting with i'm doing everything that everyone is telling me to do sure i can choose not to like kiss this woman but other than that like i can't choose against this i'm waking up this way guys so um the powerlessness of that that just affirms that there is something deeply irrevocably broken specifically about me that somehow everyone around me doesn't have oh my gosh and and, and that's traumatic i mean it's absolutely traumatic and so how did you go about dealing with that trauma, having to feel that way at a, you know, for people who don't know Moody, super conservative Christian school, yeah. um, it, it, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of room for, for, you know, thoughts outside of a box. Uh, <laughs> so no. So what, what did you do with that trauma? Yeah. I looked for a miracle. Uh, I started researching miracles um, because it seemed like all the other things that I was trying in, in a Christian sense what wasn't working. And so um, I could not believe that there happened to have just been a church plant in Chicago. And so I went, I went there and um, gosh, I remember feeling like I had never felt home like that before, even though I had a great home environment. Um, it, I was so just like embraced immediately and loved immediately. And I don't think it was fake. Um, but that's, that's where I went. And I, I told the pastor right away, you know, wasn't su like a couple times after meeting him that I was struggling with this thing. And he guided me through, um, you know, I, getting off my medications that, I was on because I was so anxious and so depressed and stopping anything that had to do with anything gay or artsy or anything. Um, and his idea was really that I was struggling because um, I uh, wasn't opening myself up to um, like receiving that a man knows how to give and so I needed to learn how to receive from a man. And uh, there again, I'm like, oh, my God, that makes perfect sense. Like, yes, I get that. And I started dating the associate pastor and got engaged pretty quickly. Um, and I thought that that was going to fix everything um, through a series of events of seeing the stranger on a train in Chicago and being attracted to her, I, I realized like, oh my God, this thing's not going away. Mm -hmm. But I also started to see, it, it felt incredibly manipulative. Yeah. Environment. I started, I, I talked to the pastor and his response to my concerns about like the control and uh, just really scared the, the fucking shit out of me. Um, and you know, he was like, I'm the mouthpiece of God. God has placed me in authority over you. And if you don't listen to me and if you don't follow this, like you're rebelling against God and, and using scripture to sort of show how weak I was and how inconsistent I was and how I didn't know how to make my own decisions. And, and I 
I really thought you are right. I think that you're right. I think that I am all of those things, but my soul is like telling me to run. And so I did, I, I broke up with my fiance. I gave him the ring back and I never went back there and I never have seen any of them ever again. You know, I'm thinking about everything that you're trying to do, you know, and it's almost like a checklist. Am I receiving, you know, the spirit? Am I receiving the word? Am I re receiving correction? Am I, you know, and, and it goes on and on. And at that point, it feels like the, it, you know, I'm hearing your story. And I'm like, well, the deck is so stacked against you, you know, anyhow, it, it, regardless, like, how are you feeling at that point? Were you feeling like I'm never going to get this right? Or was there still, I guess, this outside hope or this chance that, oh, I could be quote unquote, um, straight again or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, you know, there just wasn't a lot of information. So no, like nobody was talking about it. Like it was my identity. You know what? I never even thought I'm gay. It was just, I had this struggle. And I, when I left that church, I really did think, okay, I'm just going to keep fighting against the struggle. And, um, you know, it wasn't until years and years and years and years later when I was in my own therapy uh, and I realized like, oh my gosh, like I did an amazing job standing up to these pastors who were much older than I was, who were using the Bible in a powerful way, who were literally saying they are, they are God essentially. And somehow I got out of there what I'm like, I feel so proud of myself. Um, but at the time, yeah, I was, I was kind of, you know, a wreck, uh, pretty lost. Um, yeah. And, and it's so hard, especially when you have, I mean, we've seen this a ton, especially in the past couple of years, really like manipulative pastors who are doing some serious life damage, uh, to many people. So yeah, to be able to have the courage and in hindsight to say, wow, I can't believe I got out of that. Like, yeah, absolute kudos. It, 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 we hear too many stories where that's not the case. And, you know, that all being said, it's I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through something like that. That's a that's a jarring, traumatic experience as well. And so for you, when you were able to leave, you, you know, you talked about falling in love with a, 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 a person. Was that a, a a situation where you went back and you're like, okay, I'm going to pursue love um, with this woman who who I believe I'm in love with. Was was that the next step for you at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think I. It's it's hard to remember, but one of us, I, I think it was me, was like, I think I like you, and she was like, I think I like you back, and that was fantastic, even though it was also horrible. Um, but we knew nothing could happen, right? I mean, that would be the worst. Uh, I definitely longed to uh, kiss her, touch her hand, anything. But uh, we fought that. Nothing happened between us. And eventually we just kind of, uh, after about a year, um, you know, I think she started dating some guy and, and our paths didn't really cross that much. And so it wasn't until years later when I went to graduate school um, in Seattle. And so I moved and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm restarting here. And, um, I meet this new friend who's like awesome. And I'm stoked to find someone I have so much in common with, and we're going on adventures and, oh, this thing is happening again. Oh God, it's happening again. Like, how is this happening again? Um, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to like, 
confess to her that I'm a creep and I really am sorry. I'm trying not to do this, but it's something is happening automatically inside. Um, and I had been told that if I had ever, you know, kissed a woman or, or held a woman's hand or anything that I would immediately kind of almost be struck by lightning, you know, uh, I'd feel far from God and all the things it would be horrible. And so I anticipated that. So Crystal, my best friend at the time, we go on our adventurous camping weekend. Uh, of course, we're sleeping under the stars and I'm like, oh my God, I just, I'm in love with her. This is horrible. And she doesn't know it. So we meet these guys at the beach the next day. And I start to realize that one of these guys is going to make a move on Crystal. And I'm like, this cannot happen. I will be a wreck. And so I do what any reasonable person would do. And I quickly stand up and sit just like in between the two of them and start flirting with him. <laughs> and, and it totally worked, right? So he's like, well, I don't really care who I'm going to make out with uh, as long as it's a woman here. But then I realized like, oh my God, now he wants to kiss me. I did not think this through really. And <laughs> she says, she senses my uncomfortability and she says, hey, she doesn't want to kiss you because we're together which was a very shocking thing for her to say. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, what the hell? And because it was such a, you know, struggle of mine, this attraction for her, it really upset me. And this is where it becomes a lifetime movie. Um, so I turn to her and I say like, don't talk about what you don't know. And I just sort of stand up and start and I run away. Uh, and she runs after me on the beach and, um, my face is turning red as I'm telling the story. And, uh, and she asked me like, Hey, do you, she catches up to me. She's like, do you, do you like me like that? Um, and through her just encouragement of like, just tell me, just tell me. I finally said yes. And she said me too, which was so shocking. You, you and Crystal at this point, you start dating. Um, so we, sh we, we kissed and that's where it really changed. Okay. Okay. So we share a kiss and in, in a moment, I, w I was like, oh my God, everyone has been wrong, right? Every person, every pastor, every therapist, every mentor, every person that's prayed over me, every everything, they've been wrong because I feel God's spirit and I feel God's spirit affirming me and affirming this. Um, it was as fast as a blink. And, and so at that point, it was, we, we, um, we didn't call it that, but we started dating and I knew that God and I were good, I, but I just, I didn't know what to do with the Bible or anyone else in my life. Wow. I, I mean, I love that you said it was the spirit. I was about to be like, Oh, is it corny for me to say it was the spirit? But, <laughs> but um, yeah. When you knew that, was that a freeing feeling? Was it a feeling of like, Oh no, I got to figure this out first. What, what kind of feeling like when you sense the spirit upon you in that way and you knew everybody was wrong. Was there grief that had to happen? Did you feel like you could finally move forward? I'm just curious. Oh my God, I felt like I could fly. It was unlike anything I have ever experienced. Um, and so much so that the next day when I saw a friend of mine, it was so transformative that it didn't occur to me that not everyone else had gone through that. So I'm like, 
dude, you're never going to guess who I made out with last night. And she was all excited, like, who? Oh, my God. You know, and I'm like, Crystal. And she, you know, her face just goes from, like, excitement to, like, horror of, like, what are you saying? Um, and it, in that moment, then I really was like, oh, oh, right. Like, it was sort of this unconscious, naive space of, like, not everybody is feeling this, like, affirming spiritual experience with God in inside of themselves. Um, and that was shocking. Right. Well, I mean, I think in some ways it's still true. It, you know, however many years later, there's still a sense in which people can't attribute that great, wonderful feeling to a Holy Spirit or, or to a God at work, um, which I know is something that like you're actively and consciously working to change. Right. Um, and I don't want to jump ahead. But I do want to talk a little bit about like, okay, so now you're with Crystal and you are head over heels in love. You are also studying psychology. It was psychology, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Counseling. Uh-huh. Right, and, and counseling. And so you start to mesh these things. So talk about how how that mesh begins to happen. Yeah, it was very a messy meshing. Um, <laughs> because then we, we entered into a, a great love the the love of our life um and she's now my wife uh so spoiler alert um but we were closeted for five years and i don't know if anything can wreck a person's soul more than that um to live a closeted life like we went from happy healthy uh social people to just uh, small shells, um, because there had to be so much isolation and so much half truths. And, uh, we tried to break up so many times, just the heartache of that. And, um, the desire to be known by people, but like, you can't be known because if they know you, then they're going to find you out. Um, because we both went to the seminary and, um, and Crystal worked for this, the seminary that we went to. And so she had known that she would lose her job and we were pretty certain we'd lose most of our community. Um, and so that was an incredibly painful time and um, really impacted us until finally we decided to move to a different state uh, in order to be together and come out. Yeah, my goodness. I, I, isn't it? Isn't it something like that the spirit speaks to you in such a, a strong and straightforward way and you are you know kind of living for lack of a better term your best life with this person who you are in love with and because of the church you're not allowed to experience what the spirit has offered you but I'm, I'm it's more of a comment than anything <laughs> i'm just so sorry that that's the case it happens way too often it does i appreciate the comment because it's true like imagine what we could have brought to that community imagine what we could have helped create imagine we are only two people so then imagine all the other lgbtq people who have ever gone there um to that and been a part of that community um the loss is it's just so colossal so you right now you you found something you founded something called the christian closet and it's it's a counseling practice. When did that come? It, did that happen shortly after you and Crystal uh, got together? It did not. So I did have a, a regular brick and mortar uh, back in Seattle, and I really hated it. I, I, I was like, oh, my God, I've been to all this schooling, 
and this sucks. Um, <laughs> this is horrible. Can I get my money back? Cause I have a lot of student loans. Um, and uh, the thing, you know, I, I wanted to specialize in people like me. I wanted to specialize in people who were gay and people who were Christian, but that would be way too exposing. Um, and so I couldn't do that. And so when we moved uh, away from Seattle, I shut down my practice and I, I, I really did not uh, anticipate to go back into therapy in any way. Um, I, I was kind of just lost. Uh, doing odd jobs, nannying and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until we got to California that my dad shared that he had been praying for um, my career. And this part of the story gets my face almost as red as the uh, first kiss story because it's so, it feels so conservative um, that my dad is praying for me and, and he has the answer, you know, uh, of what I should do with my life. And uh, so he says, I got, I really feel like God is uh, showing me that you're supposed to start an online counseling and coaching organization. And this was like almost 10 years ago. So I was like, okay, first of all, you know, oh, thank you, dad. That's really sweet. And, um, but no one's ever heard of that. No one does therapy or coaching or anything online. It's not a thing. Also, I hated being a therapist, so a God must be like kind of maybe had too much red meat that night. I don't know. Uh, and then, you know, uh, uh, about six months later, I woke up actually on the morning of my birthday and I looked at Crystal and I was like, holy shit, my dad was right. Um, he just didn't know the LGBTQ Christian piece. And somehow in my sleep, it was like, oh, right, you want to walk with people like you. You want to walk with people who are closeted and they're suffering and people who, you know, um, feel like God hates them and they've been rejected by the church and they're trying to, or they're trying to figure out their first same-sex relationship. And um, and I was like, I don't know how to do this online, but I'm just going to start and we'll see what happens. And um, And now we have a team of 11 people and growing of therapists and we see people all over the world. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I, I think most of us listening would agree. It would be nice to have this much clarity from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like two of the biggest parts of life. Like, who am I going to partner with and what am I going to do? It, it, it would be nice. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like the spirit is, you know, you're, you're very in tune with it. And so is your family. So that's cool. <laughs> I know it. It does. It's kind of, it feels a little bit embarrassing. Um, but I feel, I mean, obviously I'm deeply grateful, uh, who gets, who gets to have this story? Um, there were a lot of years of suffering, but, um, you know, it's, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all of those, um, many years, even the times where I wanted to die with that, it was so dark. Um, but I think that that's, you know, a lot of people that, that reach out to us for therapy or coaching, they say, I'm reaching out to you because I cannot find anyone else who really gets both of these sides. Um, I, I can't find someone who is still like want, wants to believe in God and believes in Jesus and also is affirming and also is a therapist and also is a coach. Like, how did you do this? Um, how do you have this, this life that I want? Um, and it's so possible. It's so, it's, there's so much hope. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Yeah, there's, I mean, and I love that you're providing it. I mean, that, that's what you're doing. At, so it's the Christian, uh, Christian closet. I was just talking to my wife about an hour ago about Christian college. So that's why I messed that one up. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, yeah, the Christian. And, and so with that, I mean, from, from a, the little that I know about the Christian closet and, and your story now, there seems to be a way in which you're able to speak into people's trauma because it's it's almost the path that you've taken in some respect. Mm-hmm. Is this true? And, and, and I'd love to talk about sort of that intersection between mental health, uh, being queer, spirituality, you know, trying to find someone who can who can check all those boxes. So talk about how you're able to do that good work. Yeah. And this whole conversation, I've just so appreciated your your use of the word trauma because that's exactly what it is. Um, And I think even just us, we naming that for people is so powerful because um, like my experience of, you know, being with this pastor in Chicago, no one had ever named that as trauma, but I was then walking around in my life with that trauma and you can't heal what you don't know. Right. And so that trauma was having impact on my life and I didn't know what it was or why until I was like, oh, this is a trauma that I need to see a therapist about and get help. And um, so everybody at the Christian Closet, all of us are therapists, um, we're licensed and all of us identify somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. Also, all of us have come from some kind of Christian background and and still identify as, uh, as a Christian. And that means different things to all of us and our levels of practicing that is uh, different for everybody. But the reason why that's important is because there are these like very specific nuanced experiences that um, when you're explaining to someone, a therapist who doesn't get that or a pastor who doesn't get that, you know, it takes all this time and energy to try and educate and then they still don't quite get it. Um, You know, they're like, well, why didn't you just leave that church? Why, why didn't you just leave Moody and transfer to a different college? Like there's lots of colleges, like, you know, like it just seems so like, you know, doy, why didn't you just dot, dot, dot. Right. Without the, all the unspoken. And, you know, we talked about manipulation earlier, you know, there's so many unspoken beliefs and so many unspoken ways that people react to you making that decision or for me or whoever, for that matter, you can't just up and leave. To up and leave is saying, all right, not only am I up and leaving this school, I'm up and leaving my sense of, of belonging in a community. I'm up and leaving my theology. I'm up and leaving the people oh. that, uh, yeah, that 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 have uh, that I care whether or not they respect me. I'm leaving all of that. And so it's not just about moving from one place to another. It's about, um, you know, it's about leaving the village and not coming back to it. That's exactly right. And leaving God. Right? Oh, because- yeah. Well said it's so challenging to separate your belief in God and the voice of God and the Bible from all of those people in your life. Unless, unless someone's actually kind of helping you through that, which is a lot of what we do um, is try to piece out for people like, okay, so what was your, you know, your uh, mentor's voice? What was your pastor's voice and what is God's voice to you? And um, that takes a lot of time because it's, that internalization of your badness is traumatizing. Um, and so to piece, piece out those voices and then also try and believe in your goodness, because a big thing that, um, you know, we all struggle with and a lot of our clients struggle with is not being able to trust ourselves because we're told that we're bad. 
And so if it feels good, that's actually an affirmation that you have tricked yourself. A hundred percent. If it feels good, it probably means you shouldn't do it. That's what we've all been taught. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We're kind of like, so did God, is God the one who created help like feelings in, Oh, so God created us with feelings so that we're supposed to not listen to them and push them away and reject them and obey someone else from outside of us telling us what to do. Okay, got it. Um, and it breaks us. It absolutely breaks us. Yeah. That that sense of like, I can't trust myself because God is separate from me. And it's only because of Jesus that, that God can see me as good again. You know, otherwise I'm stuck. Otherwise God would see me as, as bad again. And that... That does a number on our psyche. So yeah, so someone comes in, do you feel like the first little while it's just like, no, you are loved, you are okay, you are good. Is it is it a lot of almost relearning? Yeah, it is. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of grieving. Um, a lot of going through the grieving process, which I, I like to talk about grieving like it's a coil. And um it so once you know it's not like oh once you once you're angry you don't ever have to be angry again it's like no you're gonna you're probably gonna reach that part of the coil again um but as you move through grief you do come to a place where those that that trauma those feelings they're not as strong they're not as impactful um and you come to a place of being able to accept it right so even the story that i shared of of me and my pastor there was a time where I would shake if I told that story. And now, you know, I can laugh through it. And it's not because I'm distanced from it in a way that I've pushed it away or I don't want to feel it. I can laugh about it because I've grieved through it. Um, and so this is where I think you, you, meant, you didn't quite say it like this, but trusting that inner voice, I, you know, the still small voice of the spirit inside of you. Yes, yes. I love that, by the way. Yeah, I think it's so connected to the ability to grieve. Um, because when we go to the depths of grief and you find the bottom of it, there usually is just breath. You're quiet. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'm guessing uh, from the little bit that I know of you that you 100% have had this experience where the snot is coming and you're just crying and then you don't even really realize it, but it's silent then. And you're just breathing and it's so peaceful. And so if you've been through something incredibly painful, it's, it ends up to me being a gift. So to be queer and to go through all this pain and trauma is a gift because you go to the heart of grief. And in that you find peace and quietness in the middle of that, the still small voice of yourself and God that you can hear. Well, I mean, that's so beautifully said. Thank you so much for saying it that way. And I think there's a fear of grief, like a fear of getting to that place. Like, I, I don't want to dig that deep. I don't want to go down all the way to that place of, of snot coming out of my nose and, you know, being completely puffy and all the rest to where I get to the quiet. We're scared to get there. So so how do you encourage people to get there? Or, or, or do you just create space for it? Is it room for it? What is it? Yeah, I call it balls to the wall, ovaries to the wall. Um, yeah, um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to start calling it that. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people have a lot of anxiety. Um, and I, I often ask people, like, have you ever had someone close to you die? Because when before the funeral, I, I would say 
for me before that funeral, man, I am so filled with anxiety. I don't want to go to the funeral. I don't want to get there. I, I don't want to see the casket. I don't want it to be real. I just feel anxious. And that anxiety is trying to have us distance ourselves from the reality, from the truth, from the grief and those feelings. And it can feel like you're never going to hit the bottom. You're just, the tears are always going to come. Uh, and so slowly having people build trust with me, um, sometimes, you know, we'll, I'll day, okay, let's do, <laughs> this might sound silly, but timed grieving. Uh, let's set a timer. Uh, or having them experience it in session with me or with one of our other therapists in a safe place. Um, but it is, it's an incredibly deeply bold and courageous act to let yourself grieve. Uh, that, I mean, again, thank you for the, like, these phrases are, are spot on. It's a bold and courageous act to let yourself grieve deeply. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I want to know people who grieve. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the grief is, it's such hard work. It is such hard work. I know I try to avoid it as much as I can <laughs> because it is such hard work. Um, but then when you end up finding out and, and you know, it ends up manifesting itself in other ways, if you're unwilling to grieve, it's going to come out in another way, you, you know, and, and I've found that out way too often. And I'm like, well, fuck, I better just sit here and let this one, uh, and let this wash over me like it just has to happen and i don't i i understand why so many people in the queer community have maybe a jaded edge and i get it and um sometimes i'm there myself and i think that um it, some a lot of times that's that's a a fear of being able to grieve because grieving is going to soften your heart eventually um and so when when we see someone that's just jaded and really angry i have a lot of compassion and um i'd say like whoo okay i think that you maybe need to grieve some of that pain it's it's um it's bringing about like a jaded edge that is not it, that's a crappy way to live um it's scary and lonely to live that way what you're describing uh is a journey and is a process and grief is a very is, is a vital part of that process mm -hmm. and i mean i know in forefront which is a, which is an lgbtqia affirming church there are no shortage of people that have the kind of stories that you're telling and yet at the same time there's also I don't want to call it a movement because that gives it too much credence, but there's even the churches that they kind of cloak themselves in a progressivism in, in, in social causes in, look, we've got a diverse community here and a diverse leadership team. Um, but they also have, uh, they, they don't broadcast it, but there is a message of, well, but if you're LGBTQ, you can't serve on the leadership team or you, you've got to change. And I'm, I'm wondering about because, you know, just like sexuality has a spectrum, trauma comes in a spectrum in all different shapes and sizes and flavors, unfortunately. And in your experience, I'm wondering if you've seen, you know, a delay in process for people that have gone to a church where it's like, yeah, come on in. Everyone is welcome, but then also are not affirming them, which is a different sort of approach to the evangelical church, which is, hey, you're wrong and you're sinful and you need to change. But now there's kind of this hybrid of sort of like, yeah, come on in. But they won't tell you up front, you have to change if you are actually going to be a part of this community. Have you seen that? And have you seen 
that as like a, a, a delaying of this process that is so essential to people to kind of recapture their identity? Yeah, I mean, just your question says that you have walked this path with a lot of people, uh, and maybe yourself, I don't know. But uh, when you said this, I started to sweat uh, <laughs> because so, uh, so many, so many people all over the world, um, including myself, right? But, but all over the world, this is not even just a United States of America thing. I just wrote a book about this um, that... It's, it is so painful to hear clearly that there is a limit to being included in a church as a queer person. But you know what else? It is amazing because I don't feel tricked. I don't, I don't end up getting involved in your community, finding a family, um, tithing and loving people and finding friends and letting my kids find friends only to be like, oh, whoops, sorry, you didn't realize that you can't become a member. Sorry, you didn't realize that you can't serve in the children's ministry because we're afraid you're going to be a pedophile. Um, that adds a whole other layer of absolutely trauma. And so then there's all of that to deal with. And it's, it's so enraging because... Um, the amount of people who just end up having to be like, I can't ever walk back into a church because of the amount of PTSD that they have and the panic attacks that they have um, driving by a church or even listening to a church on, on Zoom. Um, it's just, it's so intense, that experience of thinking that you're safe and then actually come to find out you're not. The other thing that makes it so tricky is it's very uh, infrequently done in an obvious way. It's usually done in a really nice, smiling, we love you, we want you here, uh, but you know, we just need you to go through this course and sign this document um, if you want to serve. You know, the course is going to talk about you know, how sinful homosexuality is in this document will be that you'll never date anyone of the same gender. Um, oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, well, okay, so you are choosing not to be involved in our church then. And it's like, how do you even start to figure that out? <laughs> you know, you're like, well, I guess, I guess you're right. I am choosing not to go to your class and sign this, but this has been my church community for seven years and I do want to be here. So I don't understand, you know, it's, um, it's very manipulative. Like, yeah. And, 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 uh, very seriously. So it, yeah. it, it takes a while to recover from, and some people don't recover from that. That's and, true. and that's, yeah, it's, a, you talked about yourself sweating. I feel you. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so, you know, let's talk about that. I, you know, you're doing a ton of work at, at the Christian Closet with people who have experienced that experience. Where does, you know, we talked about grief as, as a way that healing starts and a way that we get back to self. Um, what do you feel like, you know, for people who maybe are in this position where they've been told that manipulative and that terrible of a thing that like, yeah, this is your community, but you're not all the way in. How do, how do you, how do we, how do we find life in full from something like that? After something like that, I should say. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, you're going to need people. You're going to need um, people who can be with you in that pain and in those memories and talk about it over and over and over again. And um, it could be us here at the Christian Closet, but it doesn't have to be, right? Like churches like yours exist. Um, the church that my wife and I, Crystal, we go to New Abbey um, here in Pasadena. There absolutely are churches and other communities. Thank God. Uh, Q Christian Fellowship and the Reformation Project and, um, you know, Amber Cantorna is doing great work in the world. Um, so to, to find people, other queer Christians who have been through this, who can walk with you uh, through, through that. Um, also to begin to realize like God exists far outside of the church and God exists far outside the Bible. And so if you need to take a break for a season, forever, uh, that doesn't mean you're taking a break from God. Um, unless you want it to mean that, uh, like God is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. Um, and so to, to believe in God's bigness in the table of God being, you know, ginormous, uh, the, the church has gotten that wrong, or at least a lot of churches have gotten it wrong. They, they say that God is big, um, but they don't really live that way, uh, Richard Rorse, I, I always, I mess up his quote, but he says something like, it's like taking a pair of children's binoculars and looking up to the galaxies and thinking that you understand it all. Uh, and it's just like, <laughs> we're always, we, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, so if you've been hurt in the church and, and you've got that trauma and you're like, oh my gosh, but I can't even go to a church without throwing up in the parking lot. Like, I don't think God is saying push through that, get yourself back into those pews and, or into that gymnasium, because that's where I'm at. Like, I think God is like, take a novel and go to the beach and have a great time and listen to some music that isn't done by hill songs. And, you know, like I am in all of that. And I am, I am inside of you speaking to you and loving you. Um, so how did you get to that place? Yeah, I went to a lot of therapy myself. Yeah. Uh, a lot of therapy, a lot of spiritual direction, um, a lot of books, uh, a lot of time, a lot of time. And even, I mean, so Crystal and I, we hadn't been involved in a church in, like, gosh, it was about 15 years, no, 14 years or so. And we had kids. And once we had kids, I was like, I really want them to, I want us to raise them in the church. And I want them to have great experiences like I did. Um, but we actually had a hard time finding a church here in LA. And I had these conversations with pastors, just like you're describing, right? Just like, you're welcome here, but I'm sorry. You can't become a member. You can't blah, blah, blah. You can't serve all the things. Um, and so that's that's been a personal journey for us in finding a, a church community. Um, and we are, we are a part of a church. We've been a part of a couple different ones. And I... I, do, I cannot underestimate the impact, the beautiful impact that being a part of a community, a church community has been on our lives. Uh, I would have never said that before. Um, I, I was more like, yeah, I want my kids to have like happiness. I want, you know, I don't like, I'm so general. Like I want my kids to, I don't know, be able to sing Jesus loves me with other kids. That's kind of it. I did not realize that like our, like the, even just the nuts and bolts of our life uh, would be impacted in beautiful ways by being able to have other Christian families around us. Um, 
and other Christian families who are reflecting to us, y'all are are just as valid as a family as we are. Um, and not in a strange way, in a like, just who you are is who we are. Like it, it, it is, um, I, I mean, I, I'm sure anyone who is LGBTQ that you know, they're saying the same thing to you about uh, your church. Like, it's just not a small thing uh, to be sitting in a place that fully accepts you. It's, imp- it's, I always say this and I always feel like I'm being, um, uh, hyperbolic when I say it, but more and more, I believe it's true. Like, like, I think, I think the work you're doing at Christian closet, I think what new Abbey's up to, you know, what our church is up to, I, I truly believe it's saving lives. Like not just in the old school, like evangelical kind of way, but like, no, really like physically saving people's lives because <laughs> yeah. I think the fact that like you're able to find community in that way, or that somebody can um, go see a therapist who is a Christian, be queer, you know, C has experienced the trauma and knows what it takes to get through it. Like, th- there's not enough of us. And, and and when we when someone like you is doing this good work, it literally it literally is saving lives. And and I think it's so important. And I'm so glad for you that you found that at um, you know, you found that at Pasadena, which by the way is a lovely town. I just got a chance to visit. So okay. <laughs> it's a great place. <laughs> Most definitely. But, you know, I, I think obviously the church has, has so many flaws, and this is certainly one of them in the American Christian church. But the one thing that we started tackling at Forefront is the idea that uh, mental health should no longer be a stigma in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wanted to get your take as someone who is a therapist, who uh, has a practice and who, who meets people regularly who are part of the church. What can the church do? Like, how does the church assist you in your work, uh, especially around the stigma of mental health, the stigma of queer communities? Um, what can we do? Mm. Yeah, you can talk about it from up front, just really normally. Um, if you're a pastor or a church leader or Bible study, you know, talk about go your own therapy. Encourage people to get therapy. Um, I think another uh, huge thing is um, as you know, pastors and church leaders knowing your scope of expertise. So there are certain issues that when people reach out to me for therapy or for coaching, I refer them to someone else because I know that I don't know much about it. I know that I, um, that's not within my scope of expertise or practice. So someone comes to me, maybe who's struggling with like an eating disorder. Um, I've not studied that very much. I, I don't have much experience, but you know what? I know therapists who do. I send them to them because they're going to do way better work than me. I don't need to hoard that. I don't need to say like, oh, you came to me, so I'm the one who has to help you. So that would be a huge, huge thing. I think there's so much pressure as a pastor or church leader to be the one to walk with them. They came to you and you're their pastor and you've got to be the one. Um, No, get a list of therapists that you can refer out to who know their shit. Um, You don't have to do it. So to me, that would be number one on the list. Thank you so much, by the way. I think think a couple of years ago, I figured that out. Somebody came to me, I was like, I am... I have no clue what to tell you, like none whatsoever. So I'm not going to try and say anything and I'm going to find somebody who can tell you some things. Thank so, you. But thank, thank you. Like, you know, there's there's like an inherent guilt as a pastor, right? Like that comes with that. But no, what you said was beautiful and I'm absolutely on board with that. 
all right, that's number one. So yeah. what, what, and I even understand, else? I mean, when someone reaches out to me, right, and they're like, well, you're a therapist. I, we, I even have friends who are always like, hey, can I ask you a question about my kids? And I'm like, sure, but I know nothing about child development, but shoot, go ahead, you know? And it's like, that's not what I know about. I don't know all the things about all the therapies. Um, all the things about all the therapies none of us do no so pastors we don't i i hope no one's expecting you and if they do um you know it's okay to educate them like hey this is not my field of expertise at all um there may be a certain level of being able to love someone through something or your own life experience which is huge but um yeah obviously there's a lot of people out there have been trained for this so refer out Um, so yeah, so normalizing it from, from the front, refer out, um, having, you can, you know, have therapists come in and do classes, courses, have them preach. Uh, so I, I think just by like talking about it, it, it's so refreshing, um, at, at New Abbey when, uh, you know, Corey, our, our head pastor is just like, yeah, I was in therapy, dot, 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 you know, and he tells a story and it's just like, thank you. This is amazing. Yes. Like, or people are shocked when I'm like, oh yeah, I, I've been in and out of therapy for, for, I don't know, almost 20 years. Um, we think that you have to be kind of like really out there and something really horrible has had to happen. Um, not necessarily like sometimes therapy is really brief. Uh, you just need a little bit of someone to process through life with, uh, and uh, the last thing I'm just say is also like medication is an, an, a whole other thing that's um, should be talked about much more as well. Like medication when used correctly is, I think, a miracle. Uh, it has changed so many, so many people's lives. It's also saved so many people's lives. And there's so much misunderstanding and judgment around medication. Um, it it should never change your personality. It it doesn't make life totally different. It really, um, is such a helper for people. Most definitely. You know, I, I know that I, I, we should, we share at forefront a lot about, about meds. <laughs> I'm like, if you need help with meds, let's talk to each other about this because they can be good things when, when taken care of in the right way. So yes. I'm, I appreciate that affirmation. So Candace, I mean, thank you. Thank you so much. First of all, you're a wonderful storyteller. It's been wonderful to like talk with you and it's been amazing to hear your story. Thank you for that. Um, that's a privilege. Uh, but you also have a book coming out. So a lot of people are going to be able to hear this this story, I'm, I'm assuming. Can you tell us what the book's about, a little bit about it? And I know it's it's not coming out for a little bit, but still, mm-hmm. like something to get excited about. Yeah, it's kind of funny because for a long time I wanted to write a book and I kept thinking like, how do we get a book deal? And then... Uh, my wife was like, well, what do you think all the people that uh, write books do? So I went step by step what they do. And and then I was like, oh, my God, I don't want a book deal. This is fantastic. I don't want to write a book. Yes, it feels so free. And then um, I did this Instagram post and uh, also shared it on Facebook. And someone had shared it and this uh, publisher saw it. So he contacted me and he's like, hey, I think this should be a book. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to write a book. <laughs> but you did it. But you wrote the book. I did it. I did it. Because ultimately, who says no to someone saying this should be a book, right? Yeah. Congratulations um, on that, by the way. It's hard work. Yeah. It, it was uh, such a really cool experience to wake up at, you know, five, 4.35 every day for a season of life and 
just have this quiet space that was just me and my computer. Um, so the book is a, just about really what we were talking about earlier, and that is how so many um, LGBTQ plus people go into a church. They're looking at the website. It's not clear. They're looking at any pamphlet or any anything anywhere. It's just not clear their stance and their beliefs um, and their theology about inclusion. And so they go because they go because they have a great children's program or they go because they've got awesome music or they go because the pastor is cool and entertaining or they go because all of their friends are going like there's all these other reasons they go and they love it and they get involved and they feel like they've experienced God and then they go to, to get involved even more that next step of like leadership or membership or baptism or marriage or any of those things. Right. And then the rug gets pulled out from underneath them in that like really quote unquote nice way of, uh, you know, we're not really rejecting you while rejecting you. And so the book is about that process. I included my story and many stories of people that I've talked with and worked with. Um, and so I talk about the damage of that, the psychological damage, the spiritual damage, um, and just the the ask for churches to be clear. So the book is not about churches changing their theology, even though that would be great. Um, it's really like if you, I just want you to be clear. That's it, um, so that we can stop getting tricked because that that trick, that manipulation, that rug from out from underneath you. That's that's the the trauma right there. Um, and so I also read about what churches can do to make it more clear. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all of that, uh, rolled into one book. So, I mean, it's so incredibly important as we just talked about. So, so basically what we talked about today will be a little taste. I know it comes out what, like, a, like in a few months from now, right? Well, I, we're still working on the release date. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, if you're still working on the release date, you have so much good stuff to say. I know that I've learned a ton. I won't speak for Jim, but, um, Maybe I will. Jim's learned a ton too. <laughs> how do we how do we find out more? Where, where do we go to find out more about you, more about your story and your work? Yeah. So our website, thechristiancloset.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, which my handle is lesbian therapist, uh, which I get uh, lots of jokes about. I like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all the places online, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but um, Instagram, if you want a quicker reply and also our website, um, you can send a message through our website. Candice, thanks so much for being with us. It, it was, I had a ton of fun. I had a ton of fun hearing your story and what you talk about is just so important. So thanks again for that. Um, greatly appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for just what you are doing. Um, I know that you've already been told this by so many people. I mean, you, you literally said you're saving lives, but as a, like a, a, a gay person, I just want to reflect that to you and say, thank you. You are, you are saving so many literal lives. Uh, so thank you. Well, thanks. I'm going to receive that. I'll receive that one today. Oh. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Make sure you check out Candace Zubernat at all of the relevant places she just talked about, lesbian therapist, christiancloset.com. Until next time, we'll see you all later. This is the Forefront Podcast.